Hello, everyone. Welcome to the latest edition of Airing It Out, Files from Leahy's Locker Room. We are delighted to have you with us, as we always are. Happy middle of the week to you. And uh, we have a tremendous show for you today. Uh, Before we get started, I'd like to just thank my guests from last week. Last week, we went uh, down south. We went to Connecticut, down to Stores, Connecticut. We were uh, chatting with the radio voice of uh, UConn Hockey, Bob Joyce. And we had a great time with Bob. And uh, I hope you enjoyed the podcast. If you missed it, um, it is still up online for you to check out. In addition to that, all the other episodes we've done. Uh, So last week we went south. This week we're going north. We're heading up to Canton, New York, up into North Country, uh, and uh, one of the most beautiful places you'll ever want to visit. And uh, we're going to be talking with a gentleman who uh, goes back a long way with me. His name is Aaron Todd. He is the Assistant Athletic Director for Communications and Marketing up at St. Lawrence University. And Aaron and I have a wonderful history together, which we'll get into shortly. But Aaron, I want to thank you for spending some time with us today. And uh, we're really looking forward to having you on and, and discussing some uh, great topics today. Well, I'm looking forward to it too, John. Thanks so much for having me. All right, Aaron. Well, the first thing I, I have to just touch on is uh, the fact that you had the opportunity to head home to St. Lawrence in June of 2016. You were an alma mater there. Uh, you you were on the uh, cross country team there. Correct me if I'm wrong. And yeah, uh, yeah. yeah. And uh, so you were working here in this area, and you had a chance to go home to St. Lawrence. So how gratifying was that for you to you know, be able to, to get back and be involved with St. Lawrence again? Well, you know, St. Lawrence has been, um, you know, kind of loomed large in my life from, from early childhood. Um, I grew up here in Canton, and then I went to St. Lawrence as a townie. I was a member of the uh, cross-country and track and field teams, as you mentioned, John. Uh, just had a great experience as a student, as a student athlete, um, you know, here at St. Lawrence. And, um, you know, I actually worked for two years uh, as a grad assistant in the sports information office after I graduated with legendary um, SID Wally Johnson, um, you know, who served as my mentor. And then and I went on to a few other places, including uh, one we'll probably talk about a little bit later, John. Um <laughs> you know, in my career. Uh, and I'd actually been out of sports information for a while um, and been out of college athletics for a while when Wally announced that he would be retiring. And, um, you know, I reached out to uh, Bob DeRocher, who is our athletic director and somebody I worked very closely with. I covered his uh, men's soccer team um, when I was a graduate assistant and he had uh, been the athletic director for, for only about a, a couple of years when um when Wally announced that he was retiring and we got to talking and I said, you know, I think I might be interested. So he encouraged me to apply and, and, you know, it's been just incredible to be back. You know, it's amazing how many coaches uh, that I worked with as a grad assistant back, you know, in 2001, 2002, um, you know, are still here 20 years later. Uh, It's a great, it's a great institution. It's a great athletic department with incredible people who, who work really hard for our student athletes. And it's, it's just a a fun thing to be back, uh, you know, close to home and my family, but also, uh, you know, St. Lawrence is, is a home for me. So uh, a wonderful place to be. And and I couldn't be, be happier to be here. 
Well, Aaron, uh, I wanted to just touch upon your background a little bit, and I wanted to just let our audience know uh, what a great storyteller you are. You, you've won awards for feature stories you've written. One of them was uh, you, in 2020, uh, you won an award, a recognition award, for an article you wrote called As One, and uh, that featured uh, Shelley Royger, who was the head uh, volleyball coach there. So tell us a little bit about that story and how proud you were of it. Well, that's a really special story. It was nice to be recognized, but but really the more more gratifying part for me, it's it's a personal story. Um, you know, Shelly is is a wonderful coach and, and advocate for our student athletes, and I'm always just blown away by how bound together her teams are. And and you know, it's just an impressive thing to watch as she builds from the beginning of the season to the end, and and how much her players buy into her program. But but more than anything, Shelly is a close personal friend. Um, you know, our son, uh, our, my oldest son, Charlie, who's now 14, when we moved to Canton, started playing basketball, which he did not play until we moved back here. Um, but he started playing basketball, and Shelly ended up being his coach for two seasons. And, um, you know, as good as she is as a college coach, uh, you know, my, my, my unbiased opinion in watching her, coach uh you know 10 11 12 year old boys is she she's just an incredible youth coach she gets so much out of those kids they had such an incredible experience playing for her and and the as one story is just it, that was her their team motto uh in the fall of uh i believe that was about the fall, fall of 2009 season 2019 season um when i wrote the story and um you know, so, you know, all the basketball moms from my son's team, you know, my wife and a whole bunch of the other moms and dads thought it would be nice if the boys all came to one of Shelly's volleyball games to support her uh, because she's done so much to support them. And so they all came and they brought signs. My personal favorite was one of Charlie's friends brought a sign that said, if you wanted soft serve, you should have gone to Dairy Queen. <laughs> um, but, <laughs> but they all brought signs and they cheered like mad. And, and you know, her players were just like, oh, my God, this is amazing. And so Shelly just really does so much. She's a leader in our community. She's a leader on our campus. And, um, you know, it was nice to be able to write a story that's kind of a little bit of a thank you note to her for everything she does, both for St. Lawrence, but also, um, you know, what she's done for my son. And, uh, you know, the, the the personal recognition from the, you know, the NCA was was great, but it, it not, more than anything else, I was just glad that, you know, it, that allowed the piece to get a wider audience. So more people knew just how special Shelly is. And, she, and she's one of, you know, it, it's it, she's not unique, you know, in our in our department. That's just kind of who all of our coaches are. You know, and then from there, you won a uh a writing contest, the Fred Stabley writing contest. You finished second place nationally for a story you wrote uh, called Well Tailored, and that uh, had to do with equipment equipment manager Jim Taylor at, from your time at Bates. So I wonder if you could just uh, let us know the, the details of that story and, and, again, what it meant to you. Well, that that was a while ago. That one was about 15 years ago, um, and, and uh, so I, I have to jog my memory a little bit. But, I, I mean, I remember Jim very well i was only at bates for a year and a half um i ended up meeting my wife who was living down in cambridge while i was living in maine um so you know there kind of became an impetus for me to to want to move down to the boston area but um so but jim was you know jim is a character uh and he was one of those gruff equipment managers who wouldn't you know 
take any crap from anybody <laughs> and, and right. you know the the student athletes just absolutely loved him and so the story was just kind of encapsulating who he was and he he was a Lewiston native you know just one of those true character guys who grew up around Bates he loved Bates College and um so it was a, it was a pleasure to write about him and and you know I, I, that's that's the thing I just keep going back to is that you know the world of college athletics the people are incredible and you know the student athletes that I've worked with are always so appreciative of the folks who try to give them the best experience. And and certainly, uh, you know, Jim Taylor was one of those people. And Aaron, you know, you do a lot of video production work at St. Lawrence. And one of the videos that really sticks out that I had a chance to view not long ago was a video which helped a a runner by the name of Thomas Caulfield win the NCAA Sportsmanship Award. And uh, that was was quite an interesting story. I watched the video, but uh, give us the background of that video and how it all came together and and what it means. Yeah, that happened in the spring of 2017. That was my first first spring at St. Lawrence. And, uh, you know, it's just one of those things that just it, it, there's there's so many sports going on at St. Lawrence. We have 35 varsity sports now um, that you can't possibly watch everything that happens. So I rely on our coaches to tell me when something interesting happens, because I can, like I said, I can't see everything. And um, our uh, men's track and field coach, who was one of my coaches, he was my assistant coach when I was uh, a runner at St. Lawrence, came to my office and. We just had our conference championship the the weekend before, and it was Monday. And he said, he said, yeah, I, I was just getting a debrief from him. I said, oh, you know, how'd the conference championships go? I saw this kid did great. I saw that kid did great, you know, just looking through the results. And he said, yeah, and, you know, we had an interesting thing happen in the 5K. Um, you know, Tom Caulfield and uh, Otto, uh, oh, God, I can't remember his last name, from RIT, Otto Kingstead, I believe is his name. He yeah. said their legs kind of got tangled up and, you know, Tom, Tom tripped Otto and then he stopped and he went back and like helped him up and then tucked in again behind him. And I was like, really? And he said, yeah, yeah. It was just, just kind of a nice moment. And he was telling me more, I think as somebody who knows track and field and who would think that that was, you know, kind of a nice moment. And and I don't think he expected me to do anything with it. And I said, well, coach Newman, this is like, do we have any video of this? He said, oh, I don't know. And it, it had been live streamed. So um, I reached out to to Vassar's um, SID, Jamie Chagnon at the time. And I said, you know, Jamie, is there any chance that you could clip this for me? And he, he was like, oh, yeah, absolutely. So he sent me the clip. That's one of the things I love about sports information directors is that everybody's willing to help each other out. Yeah. Jamie gained nothing, gained nothing by helping me, you know, by, by taking the time to find that moment and clip it. Um. But he helped me out with it. And then, um, you know, RIT staff helped out by doing an interview with Otto to, um, you know, provide us with the context from his point of view. And then I talked to, to Thomas Caulfield and to uh, John Newman, our coach, and put it all together. And, and, you know, it's it's also interesting. RIT has an incredible program for athletes who are hard of hearing. And, and you know, Otto happens to be deaf. deaf so his, um, you know, response is all in sign language. And they were able to provide me with you know, the transcript of, of what he was saying. And um, so we put it all together and submitted it for the Sportsmanship Award, and we were thrilled uh, when Thomas was recognized with that. Um, just, you know, an exciting moment for the department and, you know, a great moment for Thomas, who was just really a stand-up guy. Um, and Otto was just a premier competitor, um, you know, one of the best in Division Three. So it was a, it was a nice moment, and, you know, you never want to see anyone fall, 
but um, you know, I thought Thomas reacted to it in the proper way. And that's what, that's what athletics is all about. Yeah. And you know, it was such an unprecedented moment that, you know, how could you not write about it? Usually in the, in the heat of competition, right? The, I mean, the, the, the goal is, you know, to beat the other guy, but it, it's so unprecedented to see that, uh, kindness within that athletic competition. And, and I can just imagine that you really felt compelled to write about it. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, you know, I think part of it is the track and field um, world is very connected and there, you know, <laughs> the one thing about track and field is it is, there's no, well, there are officials, but the, at the end of the day, when somebody beats you, it's because they're better than you. And you know that like you can't, you know, I'm a former athlete and I was a middling runner at the division three level, you know, I finished in the middle of the pack at my best and at many times more towards the back of the pack. <laughs> and I knew that, you know, I wasn't, I wasn't as fast as my teammates who went on to be all Americans. Um, you know, so when we were deciding who to put together for our NCAA championship uh, appearances in cross country, you know, I was, I was the eighth man and I knew I was the eighth man, only the top seven go. So I had, you know, I had no grudge against my coach. I was, disappointed that it, you know i wasn't one of the top seven runners but but it was clear like i was about 30 seconds behind the seventh runner you know and that's an eternity so um you know we we try to help each other out in track and field and um you know there's there's not a lot of gamesmanship and um so that story really spoke to me as a as an alum of the program and then certainly you know heading our our um you know communications department in athletics it seemed like a real opportunity to highlight a great moment well, you mentioned Wally Johnson earlier, and, and I'd just like to get your thoughts on what Wally has meant to St. Lawrence. I had a chance to meet him the last time I was up there. Uh, Merrimack was playing a, a, a two-game series up at St. Lawrence and Clarkson, and I remember getting together with Wally. But there's so many great stories about him, aren't there? I know for a fact that uh, Dan Rusinowski, who does the uh, radio for the San Jose Sharks, is a St. Lawrence alum, and he told me uh, a lot about Wally. But, uh, you know, let, let us know about uh, about Wally and, and a favorite story of his that you that you enjoy. Well, there's probably quite a few that I shouldn't mention on air, <laughs> but Wally is a true character. I mean, you know, he's beloved by the hockey world. He's beloved in the sports information world. He's a Hall of Famer in, you know, COSIDA. Um, you know, he's been recognized as somebody who was you're really a leader in our field. He was he came to St. Lawrence in 1974. He had a 42-year career, 42 career here. Um you know, for a lot of people, Wally Johnson is St. Lawrence athletics, uh, right. you know, and you know, he's, he's, he wears the snakeskin boots. Uh, you know, he loves scotch. He loves his golf. <laughs> um, he is, uh, he is a premier individual and, um, you know, somebody who also helped nurture the career of many, many folks who have gone on to, you know, careers in sports information. And, and I could start mentioning people, but I don't want to simply because I know I'm going to forget a ton of us, but um, you know, certainly I'm one of them and there are others all around the country who, you know, worked with Wally who learned from Wally and, you know, have him to thank for, for a lot of their success. Absolutely. Now, in addition to your time at St. Lawrence, prior to coming back and working in an official capacity, we mentioned that you spent some time at Bates, but you also uh, worked at Merrimack College, and that, that brings us to a little bit of uh, throwback memory lane, if you will. 
Uh, you're the guy that hired me at Merrimack back <laughs> in the right. It was in 2005, right right around the uh, the springtime, I believe, when was my when my interview was and. You know, I remember that day, Aaron, just like it was yesterday, you know, meeting you in your office. I had uh, Eric Schulman with me. He wound up doing the color at Merrimack for a couple of years. But, you know, that was that was one of the high water marks of my career, getting that job at Merrimack. And, you know, I, I just I'm really grateful for that. And, and I wonder if you could share your, your thoughts about maybe that experience and, and some other thoughts that might uh, uh, you, that you might think of about Merrimack. Yeah, you know, I was at Merrimack a very short time, just one year, uh, and it was kind of a period of uh, a lot of transition, you know, on that campus. Uh, but I do remember that day as well, John. I remember I was just blown away by your professionalism, your preparation, and your dedication, and it was a really simple decision for us to to pick you, um, you know, to do the games going forward. And, you know, I'm thrilled that you're still there and still, uh, you know, doing such a great job for Merrimack. Um but, you know, I remember being at Merrimack and, uh, you know, I was there. I started on January 3rd, I believe, was my first day on the job. And um, January 4th was the second day on the job. And we played BC and they were ranked number one in the country. And, um, you know, I was still relatively new to the Boston media market. And yeah. I will be completely honest that I did not know what I was doing. Um <laughs> And I didn't know who people were. And uh, Jackie McMullen called and said she wanted to come to the game. And I said, we didn't have room in the press box. And that was a mistake. <laughs> <laughs> and she was perfectly nice about it. But Eric Allen, who was our, um, at the time, the assistant AD for marketing, came to my office about 30 minutes later. And he's like, Aaron, did Jackie McMullen call you? And I said, uh, yeah. And he said, we got to find space for her. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> I said, Okay. Message received. We'll find a space for her in the press box. Um, but Chris Arena was the coach. Um, and then, uh, you know, there was a coaching transition over the summer, and, and Mark Dennehy was hired. And, and I really loved working with both of them. They were both just really, uh, you know, excellent men. Uh, and, uh, you know, I, and Mark, you know, did a great job of, you know, setting a new direction for the team. And, uh, you know, I was I, I was always very excited to see when the team was succeeding or when they made their, you know, NCAA tournament run. And, and you know, that was just I was really happy for him uh, and for Merrimack when when that was happening. Um, and uh, I know he's gone on now and, uh, you know, no surprise how quickly we, he landed on his feet after leaving Merrimack. And, um, you know, it's it was a it was a like I said, it was a short time, but it was uh it was an interesting time. And, you know, the women's basketball team went to the elite eight that year um, that I was there. There was just a lot of activity on that campus that year. And, and I learned a lot from the experience and met a lot of great people, including you. Well, I appreciate that, Aaron. And, and you know, I can't help but think back to the very first road trip that you and I went on. It was the, <laughs> the, the first two games that I ever did at Merrimack. Mark Dennehy also, those were the first two games that he coached there. Mark and I were hired at the same time. But th mm -hmm. that road trip began in Bowling Green, Ohio. I don't know if you remember that. The, the first yes, night, it, it was on a Friday night in Bowling Green, and Merrimack won Mark's debut 3-2. to two, And then we went over to Michigan to play on a Sunday afternoon. and uh, Different story. Yeah, that didn't work out too well. Merrimack <laughs> gave up uh, seven goals in the first period. They lost 9-2. to two. But the cool thing about that was, you know, we got to go to a, a Michigan football game at the big house and then uh, on the Saturday, and, of course, meeting Red Berenson on Sunday was huge. But, you know, the thing I remember about that trip, Aaron, was that 
I remember Merrimack telling me, well, you know, we, we, we can't really afford to, to spring for a plane ticket for you. You know, it was you know, yes. whatever budgetary uh, constrictions were in place. And I remember talking, talking it over with my wife, and I said, you know, I really want to make a good impression on these people. So I drove out there. I remember that. Yeah, That's right. Right. Yeah. And uh, so it was uh, It was quite the experience. But I guess it must have worked because 17 years later I'm still here. But, <laughs> you know, that was, a, that, was, that was quite a trip, and I still remember it very clearly. Yeah, and that first game, I mean, you know, I mentioned that my second day on the job we're hosting number, two BC, or number one BC. Uh, you know, the unfortunate thing is that that was the first game of a 14-game losing streak to end the season. All right. Uh, it was a tough, it was a tough year. And I remember when they, when, you know, the team beat Bowling Green, it, you know, they celebrated like they'd won the Stanley cup because it yeah. was, and it was, I mean, it, this was a, it was a great game. Uh, you know, the game winning goal with less than three minutes to play. I mean, it was, it was an exciting game. Uh, Jimmy Healy, 45 saves in that game. I mean, it was a, it was an exciting game and for them to, come out of the gate with a win was was just such a great thrill for for everyone involved. Yeah, we're going to talk a little St. Lawrence hockey here shortly, but you know, it's always it's always fun, isn't it, when St. Lawrence and Merrimack get together now whether it's at our place or, or up at your place and you know, I I really enjoyed seeing Appleton Arena for the first time. I'd never called a game there before, but uh we're going to get into Appleton Arena shortly as well, but Mm-hmm. It's a lot of fun when our schools get together because you know, especially if it's up at your place, I get to see you, so that adds to the experience. And, and additionally, Tom Lawler, a uh, St. Lawrence alum, so you know more connections between the two programs for sure. Absolutely. Now, Aaron, you also spent some time down in Rhode Island with Brown from 2007 and 2010, so you had some ECAC work there. And, and what was it like working for an Ivy League school? That was a great experience, um, you know, and it was a little different role. I worked at Brown in the Sports Foundation, so I was doing their um, publica- publications and marketing for athletic fundraising, uh, which, you know, that group is housed in the development office and not in athletics. So so that was a real education just in terms of, you know, how to interact with alumni. Um, I wasn't doing a lot of direct fundraising. I was doing more of the um, publications and, you know, uh, you know, media, our social media and our, um, even at that time, uh, this was, you know, more than 10 years ago, we were doing a lot of, a lot of email messaging. Um, but you know, running events like tailgates at football games and things like that. And, um, you know, for Brown football was, you know, that was the thing we had, we had an event at every single football game of the season. And, People would come from all around. Um, the, the alumni would get excited for football, and um, you know, certainly some some excitement around hockey as well. Uh, you know, the coaching change there again in hockey while I was there. Uh, Brendan Wittet came in, and um, he's somebody I really got to know and enjoyed uh, working with. Certainly, a quality individual, um, and you know, happy to see that. The, he's been doing well at Brown, and you know, was disappointed that they didn't get to have a season this year along with the rest of the Ivy League. But, but yeah, no, it was a it was a great experience. Uh, certainly, a little different. You know, when I was at Merrimack, Merrimack was Division Two for its sports, with the exception of hockey. So, um, that was my first chance to work at a completely, and the only time I've worked at an institution that that was all Division One. So, um, the the connection to the alumni there though was really strong and a lot of pride 
in uh, the school from from folks. And, and that was that that kind of made my job easy because, you know, it was just about communicating, uh, you know, the great things that were happening on campus and trying to keep people interested as we were as we were trying to, um, you know, support the teams. You're listening to Airing It Out, Files from Leahy's Locker Room. Our guest today is Aaron Todd. He is the Assistant Athletic Director for Communications and Marketing at St. Lawrence University. He's also the uh, contact for SID contact for football, cross-country, tennis, hockey, riding, track and field, baseball, and softball. Did I miss anything there, Aaron? (laughs) (laughs) Well, some of that's actually going to be changing, John. We just today posted a job for an Assistant Director position, which – will be, uh, you know, filling the role that Beth Spadacini filled for me for my first four and a half years at St. Lawrence, and she's gone on uh, to bigger and better things. So we're excited to, to kind of figure out who the new member of our team is going to be, and, and our sport assignments will, will certainly all be changing. And, and to be honest, this, the way we've advertised the role, it will very likely be the person who's, our, who's going to be our new men's hockey contact. All right, excellent. Well, speaking of hockey, Aaron, uh, let's transition, if we could, into St. Lawrence Hockey and the ECAC. Uh, I, I guess the first topic we should really touch on is the pandemic, and the pandemic certainly shortened uh, the field of play for uh, many uh, schools and conferences, but really the ECAC was affected more than any other conference. How strange was it to navigate through that season uh, the way that it uh, ultimately wound up? You know, I mean, when you're in it, it doesn't seem strange. If you think about, you know, obviously we lost all of the Ivy League schools who uh, opted not to participate this season. And then RPI and Union uh, joined them in that decision. So we were down to a 14 league. It was St. Lawrence, Clarkson, Quinnipiac, Quinnipiac and Colgate. And, um, you know, typically we play the schools in the league twice a year, once home and once away. And this year we played the other three teams in the league six times, three yeah. times home and three times away. So um, obviously the players got to know, you know, the teams got to know each other, the coaches, there weren't any secrets by the end of the season. Um, so in, in that way, it was a little weird, but to be in it, I don't think that other than, fe- you know, feeling like it's kind of deja vu all over again and seeing the same teams, I, you know, the, the things that were weird were the moments when, okay, well, you know, our campus, uh, you know, the testing numbers are getting high on campus and, and if athletics is being suspended for a while. We're, we're not going to be doing any practices or contests. And then, you know, we had a couple situations where the, you know, the team went in quarantine and we had to take a pause and there would be a break of, you know, however long between games. So it, it really actually for us, the main thing was it, it just took us a while to get started. Uh, our first game wasn't until New Year's Eve. Right. But after that point, um, you know, really things started to go. We did have a two-week uh, break between games, um, you know, in mid-February before yeah. we wrapped up our season with a final regular season weekend hosting Quinnipiac. Um, so, so that break was was a little bit long. But um, And then we had a break again, you know, at, at the end of February before we got into the playoffs. So the fits and starts were a little strange, but once you were out on the ice, it was college hockey. Well, how did you feel uh, St. Lawrence managed the pandemic in terms of responding to it? Did you feel they had an aggressive approach? How did you feel that, that they managed it? You know, I, I think our numbers speak for for themselves. Uh, you know, we were able to have two full semesters. And now, actually, we, we changed our academic schedule this year to limit the number of uh, – to limit the student population 
Um, we didn't want to have more than uh, 1,800 students on campus in any given time, and our, our normal student population is 26, 2,700. Um, so what we did was we went from a two-semester um, approach to a three-semester approach. Yeah. Uh, we had our traditional fall, and then the winter we we started earlier. Actually, the first day of classes in the in the winter semester was, I think, January 3rd or 4th. I mean, it was super early. Normally, it's not until uh, you know, January 20th or 22nd or in that range. So it was really about two or three weeks earlier. Our graduation was actually on April 18th. And again, you know, traditionally that would be about May 16th, May 20th. Yeah. Um, so, and now we're in the midst of our third semester, which is the s- summer semester, which is, you know, sort of an aggressively short in terms of number of weeks. So the classes are more intense um, semester and, and students would pick two of those three semesters to participate in. Um and, you know, from a testing perspective, our numbers stayed incredibly low. We did not have any major outbreaks on campus. We had some small outbreaks. And yeah. We did have some small outbreaks that, that affected, you know, some of our athletic teams. But, uh, you know, the work done by, um, you know, our, our athletic training staff and our public health staff and, and everybody that was, you know, making decisions about how to proceed, I think, like I said, it speaks for itself. And we were able to give our student our students a safe experience, um, provide a quality academic experience for everybody. I don't think it's exactly what anyone wanted, but it was much better than the alternative that we saw last spring when we sent everybody home and everybody was remote. So, um, you know, I, I know that some schools are more aggressive than others. I think we were aggressive and, and by aggressive, I mean, you know, not as many restrictions. I think we were not as, uh, we we were certainly weren't as lax as some schools and we certainly weren't as aggressive as others in terms of uh, holding people back from activities. And, and in the end, I think we kind of struck the right balance. Well, St. Lawrence wound up winning the ECAC championship. Uh, you picked up that three to two win over Quinnipiac. And then the very next day you find out you lose out on an NCAA bid, you know, due to uh, COVID-19 issues. So, uh, I mean, talk, talk, if you would, about the highs and lows of that period and, and how how the players coped with that devastating news that they would have to miss out on the tournament. Yeah, you know, I mean, we're a program that's that's been in transition. You know, we, are, we have a second-year head coach this year, Brent Brecky, who's done a great job, um, you know, building a culture and, uh, you know, building a team and, and getting the guys to play for each other in and, and, and a way that resulted – in an ECAC championship. And, and obviously it was a little disappointing to not be able to reap the rewards of that championship and go on to play in the NCAA tournament, to get that experience for, for all these guys, uh, especially the ones that are coming back. And, and also, you know, the, the seniors who, who, you know, this would have been their first NCAA tournament, bur- tournament bid. Uh, but I think at the end of the day, they all walked away saying, Hey, even though we didn't get to do this last thing, it doesn't take away the fact that, that we went out, we won a trophy, we won the league title, uh, we beat, you know, the team that everybody thought was going to win on their home ice in overtime in one of the best games I've seen in some time. Um, and, you know, they, they've got that in their in their belts, and, and I think they're, they're happy that all those things happen and nothing that, you know, missing out on the NCAA tournament doesn't doesn't take away from it. It's It was a huge learning experience, and, and I think we – we jumped about three steps in this rebuilding process uh, this season. You know, it's just such a such a 
quality team and a, and a great product on the ice. You know, every game was close. Um, and, and to go out and win two overtime games in the playoffs to win a championship, I and mean, that's that's an experience that none of them will ever forget. Well, Aaron, excuse me, Aaron, we have to touch again on uh, on Appleton Arena and the enormous amount of effort and resources that went in to refurbish that arena. Now, I, I called my first game at Appleton a few years ago. I don't remember what year it was, but we were on a St. Lawrence Clarkson trip, and it was always on my bucket list to go there. Uh, and uh, I, I'm wondering, you know, what, what, what can you tell us about how the place was refurbished and, and the experience now of attending the St. Lawrence hockey game? Well, you know, the, <laughs> the unfortunate thing is that we've put a lot of the finishing touches on it since – uh, fans have been able to be in the building. Um, you know, we, we relaunched our, we, we were able to welcome fans in for about a month last year, uh, at the end of the regular season, uh, to the refurbished building. But, um, the, one of the things that I think you will love John as a, as a, you know, as a lover of college hockey and, and, you know, the history of college hockey is that the reality is that from, you know, the bowl inside the bowl, from the seats in, you will notice actually very little change. Um, there's still the wooden be- there's still the antique wooden bleachers, the barrel vaulted ceiling, the rafters across. Um, it still looks like Appleton Arena. Nice. And it's a it's a it's a it's an antique historic building, and it's really gorgeous. And our our primary do- donor, you know, that was one of his main goals was to preserve that historic look and feel. And I'm really glad that that was you know an important part of the of the project. But, you know, we have added a video board, um, you know, above the Zamboni end, uh, which is great for fan engagement. We have, uh, I think, you know, a lot of the renovations are really player focused. Um, The locker rooms are just stunning. Um, They're beautiful locker rooms, spacious. The coaches' offices are great. There's a huge strength and conditioning room, which is devoted just to our hockey programs. The athletic training room is uh, incredible. Um, so we've really kind of upped our game in terms of what we offer the student athletes on our hockey teams. Um, and we've kept the historic look and feel. The other thing that we really added to incredibly was our ability to offer a quality live stream. Um, you know, that was a big expense in the project and uh, it was worth it. You know, we all the games in ECAC hockey, um, any home game played in an ECAC hockey rink is streamed on ESPN Plus, and um, you know we feel like our broadcast is up there with the rest of the league. You know, with schools that have been doing this type of thing, this type of broadcast, uh, you know, for years and years, and we're just still we're still learning, we're still getting better, and um, you know, it's exciting to have professional level cameras, and our control room is just it's stunning. It's really beautiful. And the equipment in there um, is just, it allows us to do what we need to do to be competitive with the rest of the league and the rest of the country in terms of offering a quality live stream. And then, you know, my own personal thing that I like the best is that the press box actually has a little space now. <laughs> I'm sure you can remember it was crowded in there uh, when you came back in uh, the fall of 2016. Um and, uh, you know, it's so it's good to have some space, um, you know, for all the folks that are in there to, to move around a little bit and not feel so so crowded and like you're a bunch of sardines. Well, you know, when I go on the road, the only thing that I look forward to is just having an Ethernet jack. And, it, it, you know, it, 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 it's so simple for me. And, uh, you know, that, that that's all I look for. And 
I, I said, I remember in that uh, game in 2016, I said, I can't wait to come back here. The trip is long getting up there, but <laughs> once you're there, you love it, because especially if you have Clarkson uh, on that trip. And, and I wonder if you could just describe the St. Lawrence-Clarkson rivalry. It's really like on any, uh, like any other, isn't it? It really is. You know, I mean, we're in a little corner of the world here in upstate New York. It's, a, you know, it's a rural location. St. Canton has about 6,000 permanent residents. I believe Potsdam has about 10 or 12. Um, and, you know, Clarkson is just 10 miles away down Route 11. And, uh, you know, the, the dirty little secret in the Clarkson-St. Lawrence rivalry is that we actually get along really well with our <laughs> with with our with our counterparts at Clarkson I like the sports information folks that work there are great I love them uh we talk all the time the coaches have good relationships I mean you know Brent came from Clarkson he worked with Casey Jones uh before coming before coming to St. Lawrence uh you know uh and uh you know there's just a lot of good relationships between the two departments but but locally you know it's an intense rivalry and and the fans are passionate on both sides the students are certainly passionate on both sides uh clarkson has that damn train whistle that blows blows <laughs> when when they score a goal and there's no sound i hate more than that and we've got our siren that we play in appleton when we score and there's no sound i love more than that so um, you know, it's a great rivalry on both the men's and the women's hockey side, and, and it goes beyond that as well. It's basketball, soccer. You know, every time we're playing Clarkson, it's a big game. And, uh, you know, it's it's one one of the things that I love to rub in is that we have the all-time, uh, you know, against, against Clarkson in football. I believe, I'll have to look here. I've got it right in front of me. We have a we have a pretty impressive record against Clarkson in football, and it will forever stay that way because they no longer have a football team. <laughs> yeah, we are twenty nine and three against Clarkson in football, and 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 the, since they don't have a team anymore, we will always will always have that. Well, you bring up goal horns, and I got to tell you, as loud as it, the one in Clarkson is, I got to tell you, the one at Union is the lo- loudest I've ever heard. <laughs> we were there uh, in the, in the last season we played. We were there right around Christmas time, and I remember, oh man, my ears were blown away by that thing. So that, <laughs> it must be an ECAC thing, I guess. <laughs> yeah, maybe it is. I, who knows? And and the league is, uh, you know, our league has been around. I believe nineteen sixty sixty one was the first season that the league was founded. It's it's the oldest college hockey league in the nation. It's one with a great history and a great future. Um, you know, it's uh, we're looking forward. We can't wait to get the Ivy League teams and and Union and RPI back next season. Uh, we missed those rivalries uh, as as nice as it was to develop. Uh, you know big rivalries with, with Colgate and, you know, obviously Clarkson already existed and now Quinnipiac. Um, it'll be good to, it'll be good to see all those old friends again uh, yeah. as we head into next season. Right. That's, that's the perfect transition. I want to talk about what's coming up, but uh, you know, I was looking through the list of arenas that I've done games in and there are only 21 college hockey arenas right now that I've never visited, but two of them are in the ECAC. One of them is Yale, uh, Merrimack went to Yale in 2013. That's one of the few games I've missed at Merrimack, so I've always wanted to do a game there. And Princeton is the other one, but all the other ones I've hit. So there's some great rinks in your league. Absolutely, and Yale is gorgeous. Um, you know, I, Ingalls is one of the most. Uh, if I Appleton's number one in my mind, uh, but Yale is just a be- it's a beautiful facility architecturally it is it is gorgeous so I highly encourage you to get to a game. Hobie Baker rank is uh, historic certainly 
uh, it's Kohl's. That's so what I hear. If you ever, if you ever, have, <laughs> if you ever end up going there, bring a lot of layers. Um, and uh, it, it's definitely an interesting uh, historical look at, um, you know, at, at at what rinks looked like uh, a long time ago. And, and I'll be interested to see what Princeton does with that facility in, in the coming years, if they have any plans, uh, you know, to do anything like what we did with Appleton uh, going forward. Because I can't imagine that they'll ever, uh, you know, it, it, it's got such a long history that it would be a shame to, to knock it down and build something new. But by the same token, um, you know, that's a facility that I'd like to see get, get some TLC from a, from a, from a fan's perspective. All right, Aaron, let's, let's take a look ahead before we wrap up. Uh, there's a lot going on in college hockey in terms of the transfer portal. You got guys moving all around with the COVID-19 uh, pandemic. Everybody is entitled to another year and, uh, they have waived the, uh, waiver, meaning that, um, Usually you have to sit out a year when you move from a team to another. another. That uh, has been waived. So you're seeing a lot of movement in the transfer portal. St. Lawrence picks up a player from Nebraska, uh, Josh Boyer. So there's lots of movement. And and how do you you assess this this transfer portal and what it it means for college hockey? Well, God bless the coaches who are trying to work through, you know, this year. It's unprecedented, like you said. And and it's just just a – I, you know, I, all the factors leading into it, I certainly think that we should be giving the kids the, the opportunities uh, to play. Um, but, you know, there's a lot of consequences to that. And, and it's hard to sort through what it all means, um, you know, from a from an institutional perspective and from a coaching perspective, you know, as coaches look to build build their rosters and figure out what piece goes where, um, you know, it is it is definitely <laughs> definitely a tall task. Um and, uh, you know, it's it's one where you're seeing people move around in all sorts of different places. Certainly people who, uh, you know, maybe have played four years and want an opportunity to play another or people who played two years and want to, you know, move to a different location. And, uh, you know, from a from a advocating for the student athlete point of view, I think it's it's good for for them to to have options um, by all means. But by, but I also know that it's it is making the off season a lot more interesting for our coaches around the country as they try to figure out exactly how they're going to, you know, who's going to be on the team and who do they want to make offers to. And, you know, as more and more people end up in the portal, I, I can't imagine trying to sort through it all from a coaching perspective. Well, Aaron, how normal do you think this upcoming season will be? How close do you think we're going to get back to where we need to be? I know that, as you said, the ECAC teams are going to be back. They'll all have full schedules, but, but how close do you think we'll be to, to getting where we need to be? My guess is that it will feel uh, from a player's perspective, it will probably feel much, certainly much more normal, um, you know, with vaccinations on the rise, uh, you know, in different institutions, uh, you know, making decisions about if vaccinations will be required. And I know that that's an ever evolving situation around the country. Um, and with the effectiveness that we've seen with the vaccinations, my hope is that, um, you know, things will feel relatively normal. I don't know as much on the spectator side what institutions will decide to do. My guess is that they will begin, you know, those that did not allow uh, spectators in large part 
probably will. Um, but again, that will be an institutional decision. I certainly can't speak on behalf of St. Lawrence as to what we will be doing. We don't have any um, you know, public stance on that right now, and I'm sure we're just going to continue to watch it evolve over the coming months. Um, you know, whether that will be at full capacity, half capacity, 25% capacity, who knows? Um, but I am encouraged by what we're seeing in terms of, you know, drops nationally in numbers. I know regionally we're also seeing a major drop. You know, our county is only seeing single digit uh, positive cases every day. Um, and that was up at one point into several hundreds. So, um, you know, we're, we're definitely headed in the right direction. And, and I hope that we you know, even if we're asking fans to wear masks, I hope that we're able to welcome fans back to Appleton next year. But again, you know, that's that's a decision that's going to be that's going to be coming in time. Well, Aaron, before I let you go, uh, I have to tell you one of my favorite experiences that I've had in college athletics was uh, coming up to there to St. Lawrence to uh, give talks on broadcasting. I know we've done it live and in person. We've also done it over uh, the internet. And uh, it was a big thrill for me to do that, and and I, I just wanted to thank you for that opportunity. And and uh, you know, if if the need arises again, I'm always here for you. Well, that's wonderful to hear, John, because I I can tell you also, um, and I'm sorry if I haven't shared this before, but both times that you came, you know, once in person and then once with a with a virtual meeting with my class, you know, my next assignment, you know, you brought some of your old spotting boards with you. Right. And my next assignment for everybody in the class was, OK, when you show up to your next game, I want you to build out a spotting board so that you have it ready and do, you know, you, you come up with your own system. But I want you to actually physically have something that you can bring with you so that you're prepared for the game. And to a person, every single one of my students who did that task walked away and said, I can't believe how much easier it was to do this in part because I had it in front of me, but also because of how much I learned by doing it that was already in my head. And I said, see, this is why John works the way he does. This is why he does so much prep. This is why he, um, you know, is one of the most prepared broadcasters I have ever met um, because he puts in the work to, uh, you know, when game time comes, he's got this wealth of information in his brain. And he's also got it in front of him and he's ready to he's ready to put it out there whenever the call arises. And, you know, what, what is the statistic? You, you're going to use maybe 10, 5, 10 percent of everything that you uh, that you put together before the game. But if you don't have that piece of information, it's not available to you. Right. Right. Well, you know, uh, broadcasting such a wonderful field and, and I'm glad I had a chance to to touch uh, to touch some students you know in a, in an intellectual way and and I'm glad that uh, I, I had a positive impact but uh, I, I can't wait to to cross paths with you again Aaron I know Merrimack and St. Lawrence will will meet again uh, when this thing finally subsides but I want to thank you for taking some time with us today it's always a a great pleasure to be able to to speak with you and good luck to St. Lawrence and the ECAC and and until we meet again again thanks for your time Aaron Thank you, John, and hopefully we'll see St. Lawrence and Merrimack meet in the NCAA championship at some date in the uh, not-too-distant future. All right. He is Aaron Todd, the Assistant Athletic Director for Communications and Marketing at St. Lawrence University. I want to thank Aaron very much. Uh, Join us next week on the podcast. We'll be talking with the radio voice of Providence College men's hockey, Mike Logan. And that should be a great interview as well. We invite you to tune in then. You've been listening to Airing It Out, files from Leahy's Locker Room, and we will check in next week. 
Mitochondrial disease is a rare multi-symptom disease characterized by breakdowns in the mitochondria, which are specialized compartments that are present in every cell of the body except red blood cells and are responsible for creating more than 90% of the energy needed by the body to sustain life and support growth. A disease most commonly associated with children, currently there is no cure, just management of symptoms. Hugs for Mito Inc. is mitochondrial disease, rare disease advocacy, awareness, fundraising for research trials, and hopefully a cure. To learn more, please visit hugsformito.org.